Hello, and welcome to Let's Talk About It. I am your host, Taylor, and I am not going to lie, I'm going to fangirl slightly in this episode with our guest. Um, I've been following her on Instagram, and she's a fellow therapist um, working out of Philadelphia, and... I've just really, really loved following her on several of her pages, Um, and we're going to cover a little bit of therapist content, but we're also going to get into some relationship stuff and cover a few topics that I've posted about on my Instagram that I've received mixed uh, feedback from and that she has also shared. Um, So I'm really excited. We're going to talk about toxic monogamy, and we're going to talk about um, consensual non-monogamous relationships. We're going to talk about social media as a therapist, uh, and we're going to talk about you know listening to people's problems. So I hope you guys are ready for a fantastic episode. So welcome, Liz, to the show. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. I am not going to lie. I feel like I fangirl over you and all of your different accounts. So I'm so incredibly grateful and love the content that you put out there and love the work that you're doing. And I'm just like, I want to be friends with you, but I'm also like so excited to like have you on here and just thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to finally get an opportunity to chat with you. Yes. I, I literally, I follow all three of your accounts and I'm like, oh, like I want to do consultation with her, but then I want her to like be my mentor. But like, I think, I think I need to take a class. I'm like, you just are doing so many amazing things. Um, and I, part of me is like, I don't know how she finds the time to do this. Like, damn, it's just very, very impressive. Lots of planning. Yes. It's I'm sure. Not as- it's not as much on the back end as it, I think, looks like on the other side. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good to know. You're working smart. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, I would love to kind of start us off with discussing a little bit about your journey to becoming a therapist. Now, I've done my own like Insta stalking on you and have learned a little bit myself um, just about, uh, you know, the schools you applied to and, you know, getting into your dream school after you already accepted one school um, and the work that you do in Philly, um, moving for love. Um, you had an, an accident where you kind of had to regroup and figure out where what you were going to do in life and um just it seems like you've had quite a quite a story up until um you know maybe getting to the point that you're at now or getting to uh when you started your uh group practice so would love if you could share with us a little bit about your journey here well you like know my story better than i do I like to do diligent stalking. And like I said, I have legit fangirled over you and love your content. So I was like, I got to figure out like all this stuff about her. Like I got to, I got to know her. Well, and you're a good therapist because you have a good memory. Good job. Thanks. Thanks. (laughs) You've said a couple of things right now. And I was like, oh yes, that did happen. I forgot about that. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So I, um, you know, I always knew I wanted to help people. But I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. And I think that that resonates with most people where we kind of change our mind constantly as we're growing up. And then we start dabbling in the thing we thought we would want to do and we Mm -hmm. don't like it. Um, So I initially went to school, um, to college to be a teacher. And I was not great at it. Um, I'm not good at classroom management. I give so 
much kudos to teachers because it's so overstimulating to be in a classroom watching that many people and managing them and teaching Mm -hmm. them. And I just wasn't great with it. So I decided to change my major to organizational development because I thought maybe I would do educational consulting. And I went through the Department of Education. I, I got that degree and I graduated and I was like, oh my gosh, what <laughs> the hell am I going to do with this degree? Because who's going to hire someone as an educational consultant that has never taught before, that doesn't really have mm-hmm. classroom experience? Um, so I felt kind of lost. And I had actually, I graduated a few years later than everybody because I had this crazy accident where I cut my finger off Um a sliding glass door fell on it. And I had to take um, almost an entire year off of school to have all the surgeries and to learn how to use my hand again. So it was just like this big thing. I just wanted to get out of school. So I I finished with this degree, didn't know what I was going to do. And I was driving down the highway one day. Do you know this part? No, I don't. But I'm like on the edge of my seat here. So I was driving down the highway and the way I was inspired to become a couples therapist was because of a billboard. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. I love this. I was was so lost. I was like, do I want to be a lawyer? Do I want to be a therapist? Like, what am I going to do? I have to do something else because this degree, I don't know what to do with it. So I see this billboard for a college, um, for a marriage and family therapy program. And I was like, I'm going to do that. And I went home that afternoon. I'm not even kidding. and made a life decision <laughs> off the billboard. And <laughs> I mean, the billboards work. They work. This is why people do that. <laughs> they certainly got a return on their investment, even if I was the only person they converted, right? Yes. Yes, definitely. <laughs> so I went home. I applied. I got in to this program for marriage and family therapy. And it it just immediately, I was like, oh my gosh, I finally know exactly what I want to do. And I remember getting my reading list that summer and just taking all these books to the beach and just reading them Mm -hmm. and being so excited to look through textbooks and to, to just really start to think about what I was going to do. And even though it came from a billboard, it was just perfect for me. Like I'd always been so curious about relationships. And the reason I wasn't a good teacher was because I was too zoned into the one-on-one interactions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really like wanted to get to know the kids and stuff. So I, I did a family therapy track and I thought I wanted to work with kids. So here's another time I thought I wanted to do something. And yeah. I moved to New Orleans um, shortly after Hurricane Katrina. I took... Um, a job in a school trying to revamp mental health programs that were kind of non-existent. I uh, worked with Tulane University to do some stuff around mental health triage when there's not enough mental health professionals and a lot of trauma. And I loved it, but I also realized that working with kids wasn't necessarily my thing. And that I really loved working with the parents. And so that's really where my path started in terms of couples therapy is I just became fascinated with supporting the parents. Yeah. And so started to go in that direction, left New Orleans for a guy who I was 
head over heels for, Mm -hmm. went back to Philly, found out he had other girlfriends. Oh, no, no. (laughs) I knew that he wasn't a good guy, that you learned things about him. You didn't know that part. But I didn't know that that was it. And that makes me really upset. Um. It was amazing, though, because all of the the girls and I, we actually talked and Mm. we were really supportive of each other. And it ended up actually working out really, really well for my life. I mean, it obviously sucked at the moment, but it was a moment in time where I just decided I'm not happy. Like my relationship wasn't great. It wasn't existent, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, The job that I took from the move, the paychecks to me were bouncing. Mm. And so I quit that job. I quit that guy. And I decided to open a private practice. I was probably a little bit out of my mind at the moment and was just like, I'm done with everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. But like, damn, you go, girl. You go, girl. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all the girls that were involved in that situation, amazing. Yes. I love love when it it turns out that way, that it just turns into like a bunch of lady love as opposed to like all the ladies hating each other as as opposed to this man who clearly is the one that actually betrayed all of you. Yeah. It was totally Mm -hmm. lady love and it was, it was really great for moving forward Mm because there wasn't any, there really wasn't any drama, surprisingly. Hmm. All right. It's time for a short break here. I want to share a really awesome sponsor of the podcast, Case Defy, who you guys might've heard me talk about before. Um, They are my favorite phone case to use because it's not only like going to actually keep my phone safe. It literally has military grade drop protection, but it's also like very cute and clean and chic. And I I don't have to have this like ugly bulky case to feel like my phone is actually going to be protected. And Mind you, these days, your phone is like your everything. You are carrying it with you everywhere you go. A day without it is like, oh my gosh, like intense. (laughs) So I I feel very, very at ease knowing that my phone is protected and that when I am taking a break from my phone, it's because I'm doing it intentionally, not because I've dropped it and it's now broken. Uh, So I would love to help you lovely listeners out. You can go to casetify.com slash Taylor today and get 20% off your new favorite phone case. That's casetify.com slash Taylor for 20% off your Casetify purchase. So be sure to check them out and keep your phones protected. You know, the holidays are coming up. We're going to want to like Snapchat, Instagram, Twitter, everything. So keep your phone protected and cute. And with all of that said, we can get back to the show. So I started my practice and um, I had no money because those paychecks were bouncing. So I always tell people I literally started it with less than $20 in my account. Mm-hmm. And that's not an exaggeration. I was like using quarters to buy mac and cheese at Wawa. I was so, so broke. It was Mm -hmm. really hard. Um, So I can really empathize with people when they're in a place where they think things aren't going to change or get better. They feel stuck because it's hard. And um, I started this practice and with some luck and some hard work, it became something very quickly. And I now have a group practice with 10 therapists in Center City, Philadelphia, and it's going really well. And I'm in a great place. I'm married. I have a baby now. And so Mm -hmm. that's kind of the winding path 
there was other things in there too, but mm-hmm. that eventually brought me to where I am now. Yeah. That's such a journey. And like, I think just shows so much resilience in you. Thank you. You might not have thought that in the moment. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, it's it's through that struggle, you know, that that resilience comes. So it's, Absolutely. it's definitely a, a a tough time to go through, it, and I can relate in some ways to bits of that story of of your story of you know feeling like holy crap, like what am I doing? Like nothing seems right, and um it's, it's, it's a really difficult place to be. And I think one of the things I'm so thankful for is, you know, going through the program that I went through to even be a therapist that we, we maybe are a little bit ahead of the curve and having some of these skills to be able to use them, um, in our lives, not to say that we're not still human and still don't like make mistakes and, you know, can find ourselves in unhealthy situations, but, um, at least having some of that awareness, I think, you know, I, I, I feel, very grateful for. I do too. I think that being a therapist and also having the awareness of what it really does feel like to have life just at certain periods of time feel like a total mess and feel incredibly painful. It's really helpful because you can actually, you can't totally put yourself in people's shoes, but Mm -hmm. you can understand where feelings of like hopelessness would come from. And you can also see that it changes and you can hold that hope for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You can empathize. I mean, totally. It's not, I mean, even when I, um, in university, I did a lot of work with substance abuse rehabilitation and I'm, I'm a sober Sally. Like I drank a little bit when I was like 12, 13 and never got fully drunk and haven't drank since, but like I worked, you know, with substance abuse and Uh people were always like, Oh, how can you do that when, you know, like you've never, you know, you don't even drink. So like, how could they even relate? And it's like, well, I don't have to have gone through the same exact things that they have in order to be able to empathize with the things that they're feeling. And at the end of the day, like it's about that relationship that you build to be able to do that productive work with your clients. So that empathy goes such a long way. Absolutely. And that's such a great example of that. Like, where you had almost no personal experience with the issue they were struggling with, mm-hmm. um, but that you were able to deeply connect with them and empathize with them anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And and I mean, especially when you look at this specific example of substance abuse, where it literally is everywhere in our society. So it's like, um, you know, several people in my family and just friends, and it, it really is everywhere around us. So um, in that example specifically, it's really not that difficult, I think, to empathize because so many people are, are affected by it. But um, it's th- that empathy. I feel like we are, as therapists, you know, we're like empathy gurus. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I love that. I think so too. I think we're lucky because every day we have to really push ourselves to find new ways to empathize. Mm-hmm. And doing that just makes relationships in our our other parts of our lives and our outside of our work lives, I think so much easier because Mm -hmm. we can take that and we can use it with, you know, our partners and our children and our family members. Um, And so it's, it's such a lucky skill for us to have. Yeah. And one of the things that you've posted, you've posted like so many, several amazing, um, 
topics and, and points that you share on your Instagram. But one of them that you just reminded me of um, was talking about when, when people think, you know, how do you, how do you do what you do just like sitting and listening to people's problems all day, that that has got to be exhausting. And I did an episode a while back, a solo episode talking about um, like becoming a therapist. And I, I believe I talked about this point a little bit, but would love to hear, you know, your response to that on on here for people um, who think, you know, maybe, oh, wow, like being a therapist sounds like this super draining thing where like you're just listening to people complain and talk about their problems and, you know, how difficult that must be for us. Yeah. And I'm, you probably hear that as well, right? Mm -hmm. From friends or even from clients. Yes. Yep. That's what I was going to say from clients of literally like apologizing, like, sorry, like you have to hear all this. And I'm like, "Uh -uh. (laughs) uh-uh, nope. Yes, I know. I hear it all the time from people that I'm working with where, especially, you know, in the first session before Mm -hmm. you really know, they tell me something so important and so vulnerable and then they apologize and say, I'm so sorry. That's probably a lot for you to have to take on. Yeah. And people in my family or my friendship group, they say the same thing. They're like, I wouldn't be able to sit and listen to people complain all day. Mm -hmm. That's usually their take, right? Like, oh, how do you deal with people complaining all day? Yes. (laughs) Well, that's not exactly what happens. Maybe you should go to therapy so you could see. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. I'm like, I don't think I've ever actually had a session where I felt ever that this person was just sitting here complaining. Like in session, we're literally doing work, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, I don't think I can think of any session where somebody was just complaining. And if they were, it was part of the work. Yeah. <laughs> like sometimes like, you, you know need to, to vent because you don't have Let's anywhere else to, to, to share that. Yeah. Exactly. All right. It's time for a short break here. I want to share with you guys one of my favorite new sponsors of the podcast and a company that I actually recently, literally just today, was uh, telling my girlfriend about because she just purchased a home with her husband and she's not, like, she doesn't really have a green thumb per se, but she really wants to make the house look cute and get some plants in there, but also doesn't totally know what to do with plants or what kind of plants to get. So I've recommended to her and several other people and also now all of you lovely listeners, uh, the company Plant Package. So it's essentially a subscription uh, box that you get that's plants, which like what other kind of subscription box do you really need besides plants delivered right to your door? Like This is just amazing. Um, you can get it either for yourself, but you can also do gift options, which I am all for sending plants as gifts. Like if a, if a potential suitor were to send me a plant package, I'd be like, I'm about to wife him up, <laughs> hubby him up. I don't know what would say for that, but um, I would very much like A++ on, on their part. So... I'm going to share with you guys just a little bit about them. Like I said, it's a subscription box. Um, so Plant Package selects durable seasonal plants. So this is another reason I love them is that each month when you get your box is that it's actually seasonal. So they're sending you plants that are literally in season. Um, and they also include stylish containers and they send like the perfect amount of soil and plant food. And for those of you that don't have a green thumb per se. Uh, they provide some instructions for assembly and for plant care, which I think is super important because then you're also getting educated on your plants and 
learning how you can better take care of them. Um, for October, uh, they did a witch's brew kind of theme, which was super fun and cute. And for November, they're doing a Thanksgiving harvest theme. Uh, so they've teamed up with some friends at Savor Edibles and Fragrance to bring a selection of herbs, perfect for adding to any of your like holiday homemade meals, get some good homegrown spices in there. It's like oh, so exciting. I love cooking with plants from my garden slash plants from plant package. Um, they all just add such a fantastic little touch to your dishes. And right now, Plant Package is offering listeners of Let's Talk About It $15 off your first plant package. So you can visit plantpackage.com and use code TAYLOR to redeem at checkout. This offer is also valid on gifts. So be sure to go to plantpackage.com and use code TAYLOR for $15 off your first plant package. And please like tag me in your photos of your plant package because I absolutely love them and I want to see where you guys put them and, and how you use them. But with all of that said, now we can get back to the show. So when people, and I would love to hear your perspective too, but for me, it actually is the greatest gift in my life because when I get to hear every day for most of my day about the things people go through, about the feelings they're having. Uh, I see their resilience. I see how life evolves. I, you know, mm-hmm. I, I meet with somebody on a Monday and then, and they feel like nothing's ever going to change. And by the next Monday, they get this amazing job promotion that just comes out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Or the opposite happens. I meet with somebody who's doing okay on a Monday and then some sort of tragedy randomly strikes. And I think that in being with people in that way, I see the way the world and people actually are behind closed doors. I have no ideal image of what life looks like. And I think that that really helps me with my level of expectation and then also my levels of disappointment, right? Because I'm not walking around thinking I'm the only person that's struggling or I'm the only person that has bad things happen to me. Mm Mm-hmm. I know that it happens to everybody. And something about that makes it feel much more surmountable. The other piece of it that for me has really helped me to manage hearing all of those difficult things is that I'm constantly, constantly learning something new. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I'm learning things that don't have to do about therapy, right? Like I have people I work with, they have all sorts of jobs and experiences and I get to learn about things I would never learn about. Mm -hmm. But I also learn about resilience. I also learn about the types of problems that um, people come upon and and how they overcome them. And, And those are things I can apply in my own life. And so having the ability to be with people in that way, for me, has personally made my own emotional world so much easier to manage. Um, And then on top of it, and the most important part is that it's just such an honor Mm -hmm. that people would sit across from you and trust you and share their story and have a space for maybe the first time in their life to just be themselves and to cry or laugh or do whatever they need to do without restricting that. And so just thinking about it in those terms makes it not only easy to manage how difficult sometimes people's experiences are, but it makes it something that's just 
I don't know. I don't know another word. Just mm-hmm. such, such an honor and such a privilege for me. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree with everything you said. And you definitely touched on some points that um, I've shared in the, in the past and that I strongly hold. And with it being an honor, I also say, <laughs> I say, I, I think it's a sacred space. And I say that, you know, it's, it's a super, super special relationship. And I honestly feel like people who are in this field are like a different breed of people uh, because we look at that kind of human interaction as just such this beautiful, special space that like helps give us life in some ways that gives us this different perspective on life that like you said, you're learning like just life skills. And to me, that's part of why I was so interested in going into the field in the first place, because it's, it's like, this is literally a field in which you are ever evolving. Like there is, there is no session that is going to be the exact same. There's, there's never really going to be a boring session. Um, and, and every session, yes, your, your client is learning and and they're growing and, you know, maybe they're struggling, but in the same token, you are also learning a lot from that person, um, getting to hear other people's ways of life and how they cope with things and seeing that change and seeing that, um, growth, I think is such a, such a, such an honor. It's, it's such a special place to be that I hold with like such high respect, um, so I, I totally agree. And I, I think when people look at it that way, they see less where it's a burden. Um, but I do think that in, for the most part, people feel like their feelings are a burden. And so yes. regardless if you're getting paid, the fact that I'm telling you my feelings is still going to be a burden on you. And I think that also kind of lends to this concept that like therapists are here to fix your problems, but mm. we don't take on... Like there's a, for me, there's a pretty strong boundary of your problems are not my problems. And so Mm -hmm. therefore you telling me these things, these situations you're struggling with is not at all a burden on me. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm here holding this space with you, but I'm not taking this on myself. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that with them feeling like it's a burden, therapy is one of the first places that maybe they can see how a relationship looks when someone doesn't take on their problems Mm -hmm. and, and that it's okay for them to have feelings in front of that person and to also know that that person can take care of themselves and be honest and have boundaries. And it's the relationship in the therapy room is a great way to practice what relationships can look like outside of the therapy room. Exactly. Exactly. I I really hope if we haven't already, like I feel like so far in this episode, we've probably convinced people to either go to therapy at this point or to uh, become therapists. So. Yes, I hope both of those things. <laughs> yes. Um, one thing I want us to get into a little bit here since we kind of shared this in common and it's definitely on different levels, but something people always have questions for me on and it's around social media and how mm. how you manage being a therapist and having a public presence um, on social media. And so I know you have three different social media accounts. Um, and from my perspective, it's one that's kind of personal, that's Liz Listens. And then the A Better Life Therapy is like your 
actual practice. And then your modern therapy practice page is like your uh, coaching. So also another business page. So two business pages and a personal page, correct? Yes. Exactly. Okay. Well, you know, the Liz Listens is still, it's still like a business page. I actually have a personal, personal page. Ah, okay. Okay. (laughs) Here we go. (laughs) Yes. So part of what, um, what I, lots of photos of babies and that's about it. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Well, see, that's the, I think there's, there's so many different layers to this. And I think, you know, it is becoming more of a, of a new thing that perhaps, you know, ethics committees are, have not fully caught up to yet, but you know, people come to me a lot with the question of like, you know, is, is what I'm posting ethical? Is it professional? And, um, you know, I have a, um, I have a business page for my practice that I don't post Mm -hmm. about and I, and I don't link to or anything like that. Um, but, and then my, personal page is the one that is the most public. And there are a lot of my, a lot of parts of my life that are very public. Mm-hmm. All right. It's time for a short break here. I want to chat for a minute about some CBD because a lot of people ask me questions about CBD and it's really all the buzz these days. And I'm sure you guys have heard about some of the potential benefits of CBD, but I want to let you know that not all CBD is actually created equally. Uh, Many brands have just CBD, but I want to share with you guys Hemp Fusion, who I have loved using because they not only include CBD in their product, but they also include a bunch of other natural ingredients to help you feel 100%. So um, for example, I have a product from them. It's actually liquid, which I love because I don't really take pills. So I'm able to do this liquid and it's citrus and ginger and it tastes really yummy. I can also just like add it in my drinks if I want, but it also has, I don't have the thing in front of me to know all of the ingredients in it, but uh, it's a mind and body focus. So it's got other ingredients in there that help me with energy and help me with my mind health um, that I find to be super helpful. I usually take in the morning uh, before I get started with my work day and it just, you know, our, our bodies naturally have uh, cannabinoids in them. And so plant-based CBD just helps to kind of naturally balance our body out, which I've I personally have found to be really helpful. Um, so everything that Hemp Fusion does really just helps add it up to be a better product than what I've seen in some other CBD companies. So they're available both online and at natural product retailers near you. They ship anywhere in the US. So please use the promo code TAYLOR for 20% off your first order and free shipping at hempfusion.com. That's promo code TAYLOR. And you, you can get Hemp Fusion shipped anywhere in the US. So don't forget to use the promo code Taylor for 20% off your first order and free shipping at hempfusion.com. And I hope you guys enjoy it. And with that, we can get back to the show. And I know for you, so it sounds like you do have a more personal personal page than Liz Listens, but um, you, you have shared small bits of yourself on, on that page. And um, I'm curious what it's been like for you to navigate your professional life with having this platform on social media. Yeah, it's certainly interesting. And I, I um, liked one of the posts you made the other day where you kind of addressed it. Mm-hmm. Um, you you just talked about how you know, people judge what you're posting and that this is kind of you and you're mm-hmm. going to post these things here and that yeah. it, 
it's not harmful really inherently at all. It's just people's judgments and their own assumptions about like what certain things mean Mm -hmm. um, to them. What a therapist should be and what a therapist looks like. Um, And also calling out that, yeah, my page is not like I'm a therapist page. (laughs) Right. And I have so many thoughts about this. (laughs) Yes, please. Let's, let's talk about them. (laughs) And we're probably very similar in our thoughts about it. But first of all, I think that the image of, quote, what a therapist should be has been really damaging to the profession totally. more than anything else. I think that therapists being on Instagram and on podcasts and having Facebook pages and writing blogs has made therapy finally seem real and accessible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think prior to that, which is pretty recent times, you know, mm-hmm. like 10 years ago, five years ago, last year, I wasn't even on Instagram yet, mm-hmm. which is so interesting. Yeah. Um, but therapists weren't seen at all. And so the only image that people had of therapists was what is shown in the media or maybe some weird dark memories they had of a childhood therapist where mm-hmm. like they went into a room that was kind of cold from the 1970s yeah. and it didn't feel like something they ever wanted to, to do again. And people were only finding their therapists through directories or, or through their insurance panels and maybe not even seeing their faces until the first time they met them. Mm-hmm. And I think that that created the sense of therapy is kind of a scary place. Like I'm not allowed to know who this person is. I have to go into the space and just spill my guts and I, I don't know them. Yeah. For me, being in these spaces isn't really an ethical dilemma for me because I actually think it's unethical to do things that make therapy not seem accessible. And I think that it's incredibly ethical to make it something that people feel comfortable with and people have choice, which is what social media has really done is it's given people choice. They can find me on Instagram and say, oh, I don't really like her, but look, there's this other person and she has my personality or they have my personality and I, I want to work with them. And instead of just having to pick a name out of a book. And so to me, that's so incredibly important that people feel like it's something they can really access. Mm-hmm. And when I consult with therapists, I talk to them about, you know, there's four types of people that need and want therapy. And Instagram talks to all of them, whereas the other types of things might only talk to one group. And so the first group of people that needs therapy or wants therapy, they're very educated about mental health. So they're going to ask their doctor or their friends, or they're going to Google it and they feel confident reaching out. But there's another three type, there's three other types of people who might not do that. So there's somebody who's like in immediate need that got in a fight with their boyfriend the night before and they're really upset or um, is having a panic attack and they really want to talk to somebody. And being on Instagram makes it so that people already know who they're going to call and make an appointment with. Mm -hmm. And um, then there's a group of people who therapy makes them really nervous. And so they know they need it, but they aren't sure if they want to reach out. And I think having a presence online helps people to over time overcome that discomfort and then just like take a deep breath and send an email and say, can I schedule with you? I've been following you for a while on Instagram. Totally. Um, 
And the fourth type of person doesn't even know they need therapy. They have an issue that they, they need to deal with, but they don't realize that therapy would help. So they're Googling other sources of support. Um, let's say that they always have like physical ailments and they've been going to all sorts of doctors and maybe they see a somatic counselor online and everything resonates with them. And they're like, oh my gosh, maybe what's happening in my body is from trauma. Let me go talk to a trauma therapist. So when you're on social media, you're connecting with so many more people who might need you and you're making it easy for them to need you Mm -hmm. or to reach out to you. Totally. And to the, to the example that you shared of someone that, you know, says, uh, shoots you an email and says, Hey, yeah, I've been following you. And, you know, I think I'm ready to seek help now. And, you know, I'm curious if you have any availability. Um, how do you then go about that? I know people for from, you know, my experience have said, you know, that that would seem really unethical to, um, get clients from this personal Instagram and that they already know these things about your life and about what you post. And so that brings in all these things. And how could you do that? (laughs) (laughs) I have my own, I have my own response to that, but I want to hear yours. How could you help people? (laughs) What is wrong with you? (laughs) Yes. How dare you be in the modern age? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. So first of all, I do think that there could be times that social media could become unethical, right? Like if you're mm-hmm. DMing back and forth all the time with your clients or certainly following them and commenting on their stuff and, and hurting their confidentiality in any way. Mm-hmm. Um, or if you're resolving your own traumas, like through social media, instead of resolving them with a therapist, like you're using it as a way to heal. Like there could be some stuff with that. Mm -hmm. But to me, there's no difference in a website and social media, first of all. So if they find me on Instagram and they want to work with me, to me, it feels like they found me on a website and they want to work with me. It's just Mm -hmm. a much more immediate website where I can post more often and stuff like that. Um, now do you feel that way though, because you don't necessarily post like super specific personal things? I mean, like you, there are some things on there, you know, like a, uh, a client could come in with some of the information that I have, you know, like, Oh, like, well, what was your accident that you had? And you know, what was, what happened with this guy? Why was this guy bad? Well, and you know, I think a couple things and I, I read this debate the other day that I really liked that was about this. And someone said, they could research all of that about you anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. So you get to then be the narrator of it. But I really, I'm a big follower of like Irvin Yalom and I believe in mm-hmm. self-disclosure anyway, as long yeah. as it's appropriate. So to me, them knowing these things about me is actually helpful if you know, if you're a therapist that knows how to navigate it. Yes. And so let's say an ethical dilemma might be that they come in the room and let's say that they've struggled to conceive and they know I have a child and they, because of my social media and they say, you know, I kind of feel uncomfortable talking about this with you because I already know you have a child. I think those are the things that people are concerned about. Mm -hmm. Well, they know these things. So maybe they won't feel like they can talk about things with you. Yeah. But I'm so comfortable setting boundaries and I'm so comfortable exploring things with people that that doesn't Mm -hmm. bother me. I really welcome it. 
And I actually think that it helps with understanding the person in terms of the real world. So because they know about that, that about me, then I can say something like, wow, that must be really hard for you. How are we going to work through that in this relationship? Mm-hmm. And what do you need to know about me or what I'm thinking in order to feel comfortable? Or what do I need to know about you so that you feel comfortable? I think that in my opinion, it makes the relationship so much more authentic and really creates conversations that are impactful in therapy. I haven't had a bad experience with it yet. And I'm really clear with the boundaries once we work together. You know, Mm -hmm. I say, I know, I know you said you follow me on social media and that's great, but you have to remember that, um, now that you're my client, we really have to protect your confidentiality. Mm -hmm. Um, and these are some things that we do, you know, I'm not going, if you like a post or if you share one of my posts or something, I'm not going to like, say you shared it. I'm not going to respond to your comments. You have to make sure that you're responsible for protecting that. We can't DM each other. I'm just like really clear about all of it. Mm -hmm. And it, it goes well. And anybody I've worked with that has found me through that channel says that it's the reason that they felt comfortable coming to therapy because they felt like they kind of had an understanding of how my personality is and how I work and that it just made it comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, I think that that all makes total sense. All right. It's time for a short break here just to kind of continue the theme of the podcast of talking about mental health and talking about therapy. And honestly, fall and winter is a time that most people actually start to seek uh, counseling and take that step to you know start their counseling journey. So I want to help you guys out. Um, for those of you that maybe feel like you're really on the go or like you just want to get help at your own time, at your own pace, um, I want to introduce you guys to BetterHelp, which is online counseling. They offer licensed professional counselors Um, who specialize in a variety of issues. So anything that you're looking for, they likely will have a professional there to help you. Um, I want to be clear, it's not a crisis line, um, but they are available worldwide and you can communicate through text, chat, phone, or video. Uh, When you sign up, you start communicating in under 24 hours. So they really get you started when you're ready, immediately. Um, And it's really a truly affordable option for Let's Talk About It listeners. You can now get 10% off your first month with discount code TALKABOUTIT. So honestly, get started today. Try it out. Um, You can go to betterhelp.com slash talkaboutit and use the discount code TALKABOUTIT for 10% off your first month. You just fill out a questionnaire and then they assess you um, to figure out what your needs are and you get matched with a counselor. And honestly, they've been super, super amazing to work with. I have several friends that use them and an ex-boyfriend who now uses them uh, thanks to my recommendation on the podcast. So it's uh, it's a really great um, service that they offer and I hope you guys take advantage of this lovely little discount and check them out out. Again, one last time, uh, listeners get 10% off your first month with discount code TALKABOUTIT. So you can head to betterhelp.com slash talkaboutit. And now we can get back to the show. 
some of the, the things that you discussed in there are like, literally I have my social media disclosure pulled up on my computer as we speak now. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Like mm-hmm. she just talked about that. She just talked about that. Um, to where like, yeah, I, I go through all these things and those boundaries are so important to discuss. And I think any kind of, you know, conflict or situation that comes up in session in the therapeutic environment is an opportunity. Um, like you said, you know, it's, it's where you get to do kind of some of that like real life work, um, where some of the things that they're bringing in, uh, you know, are, are going to be helpful for them once they leave, uh, because of how you've worked through this relationship together. Um, and, yeah, it's for me, it's it's the first thing I go over is the social media disclosure and, you know, just really reiterating those boundaries and how important those are. And I, for some people, I guess it, it just really does seem so foreign. And that concept of, you know, this uh, Freudian therapist, you know, is so yeah. concrete in their head of like, this is what it is. This is what it should look like that we're literally in the in the midst of this transition that I think feels really uncomfortable, uncomfortable for people. And, um, unfortunately a lot of what I've noticed has been that a lot of the people that have never even actually been to therapy are the ones that are then judging me negatively as a therapist saying they would never come see me as a therapist. So that's so interesting. What yeah. do you think that's about? Uh, you know, I have many, I'm many, many theories. Uh, many theories on this. Um, you know, I think a large part of being a young therapist, people want to kind of mm-hmm. like knock you down and be like, well, you haven't had life experience yet to be able to, you know, know these things. Um, I think just the fact that I was on reality TV in and of itself, people mm. feel that they're able to like knock down that professional credibility. Um, and I think it it does, I can understand the the blurred lines that might be there, but I think that's also just goes to show how difficult it can be for us to see people as the whole picture um, mm-hmm. that, you know, our professional identity is not our entire identity. Um, yeah. That we have many different parts and many different bits of ourselves. And um, it's a whole, I could go on a whole rant about it. <laughs> um, uh-huh. I think I partially did in, in one of my solo episodes about being a therapist. <laughs> um, but I think, I, I do think that, you know, everything that you said is super on point and, and valuable and I think can help people better understand. Um, I would love to chat a little bit non-therapy um, and discuss a little bit about some relationship stuff. Um, I know I've, I've shared some of the stuff that you've posted and um, kind of gone on some little tangents just from that. And then I've, I've also noticed we have posted on similar topics um, and they've been topics that I've gained a lot of traction on that people seem really engaged in. Um, and that clearly that you post and then I'm like, I'm very engaged in this topic. Um, and so one of those that I, I want us to make sure we get to, um, today is talking about toxic monogamy. Um, I find that that concept is so important (laughs) and Uh one that for many people is like a total light bulb. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'd love if you could share a little bit about, you know, some of the the signs or flags or um, components of what toxic monogamy could look like. And if there are things that, you know, if you have like personal example to be able to, to share from too. 
Yeah. So I think when people hear the phrase toxic monogamy and they're in a monogamous relationship, their guard goes up and they're like, oh my gosh, are they talking about like, we should never have monogamous relationships. And sometimes the comments on the posts, if I, you know, when I post about it or if I share my stories, um, are very like catastrophic thinking, Mm -hmm. like, Super. Oh, you're you're posting this and now like nobody's ever going to have monogamous relationships. I remember one person said, this is the end of relationships as we know it. Yep. And yep, I've got those so, messages. <laughs> yeah. And I always just wish I could sit across from them and be like, no, let's talk about this because I think that the lens you're viewing this through right now is making this concept a lot scarier to you mm-hmm. than what it is. And the concept is actually really healthy, whether you're in a monogamous relationship or you are practicing polyamory, right? Mm -hmm. You know, either way, these concepts are important because they are healthy ways of relating to people. And so I'm in a monogamous relationship and I, that is the, that is the way for me. It's like the most comfortable thing for me to do. But within that, there's certain things that societally we have decided that monogamy represents. And some of these things are unhealthy and they allow people to get away with things that aren't okay. So, you know, for instance, that jealousy is a symbol of how much you love somebody, right? Mm -hmm. So somewhere along the lines, we decided in our monogamous relationships that acting on jealousy, not the feeling of jealousy because human beings feel jealous, but acting on jealousy in a way that's destructive Mm -hmm. is okay because it means that you really loved them. Yes. And that there's a spectrum of that, right? So that could be being, feeling jealous and just saying really nasty things to your partner, um, because you feel jealous of something that they did or, feel like they might be interested in somebody else or whatever, or it could really result in some more extreme things like being harmful, like, I don't know, cutting people's tires or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Getting in a bar fight because this guy like looked at your girl in some kind of a way, but then she's like, oh my God, he loves me so much. Exactly. And you know, that's, I've had that happen before where I was like on a date with somebody and they've shoved some guy because he looked at me. Oh my gosh. And Built in that, though, was this belief, I'm sure, in his head where it's like, mm-hmm. no, that's she and I are dating. Nobody else can look at her because yeah. this is a monogamous relationship. Yeah. This is my territory. This is my territory. <laughs> exactly. Yes. So I always say, um, I'm like, don't pee on me. I like, yeah. I'm like, you're like a dog trying to pee on me right now. And I'm like, please don't pee on me. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, in healthy monogamy or in healthy polyamory or whatever, we don't need to pee on people. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> don't unless, pee on someone unless, unless it's consented. Yeah. Like unless, unless you have consent. <laughs> Don't pee on someone. (laughs) Exactly. So we don't need to mark our territory with urine unless that's your thing and Mm -hmm. then go for it. Yes. So that's one thing that has been built into toxic monogamy. So a more healthy version of that is to notice your feelings of jealousy and to notice that they're not symbols of love, but that they are symbolic of feeling like there is something that is you're not worthy of, there's something that you're feeling less than um, for or like insecure Mm -hmm. and really reflecting on what that's all about and using that jealousy as a guide towards growth instead of a guide towards destruction. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and I, I want to say that another um, component of this that I've talked about and really was <laughs> quite entertained at the feedback from it um, was this concept of like, you're going to be your partner's everything. Yes. Um, that you're just, <laughs> you really just tick all the boxes and, you know, you guys are each other's literal everything that like you are the meaning for life for this person. Um, and in my own personal relationship, you know, I've certainly been, I've certainly have um, become much more aware of this kind of topic um, more recently in the last like year and a half ish than I think I ever really have been before. And I, I do strongly think that some of what is built into this concept of, of monogamy in our society does put that pressure on us to be that person's everything, which makes dating so much more difficult, which makes, you know, these masks that we put on each other and this pressure that we put on each other so much more intense than it needs to be. Um, but the, the mix of reactions to this post that I did on just saying, you know, I'm, I'm not someone's everything, but that doesn't mean that I'm not enough. Um, was mm -hmm. so interesting to where people either were like, wow, you know, I never realized that I put that pressure on myself and on my partner and that, yeah, like that makes so much sense that that is kind of unrealistic and that that does, you know, create a lot of conflict in us that really we don't need if we can accept this about each other. Um, and on the other hand, it was things like, you know, oh, well, that's not real love because, you know, my husband has been my everything for 30 years. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Yes. And like, no, Taylor, like you are good enough. Like you are, you can be someone's everything. Like, you know, maybe you're just not in the right relationship. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Which just touches on other problematic things. Like when we think that because something works for us, that it has to be the yep. same way for everybody else, you know, mm -hmm. just because one person had a relationship where they were each other's everything and it worked out perfectly doesn't mean that that's the yeah. way for everybody. Yeah. And, but yeah, I can imagine that you got a lot of responses like, no, it just must mean that things are unhealthy. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> and you're like, no, where did we learn that we have to be each other's everything? And I think who is it? Esther Perel, yes. right? She mm -hmm. talks a lot about how it's being in a, marital relationship, but probably just a monogamous relationship has never been so hard mm -hmm. than it is now because a long time ago, the relationship had purpose and you served that purpose, whether it was the right thing or not. Right. Yeah. But we knew kind of what our role was. And now because we have the freedom of choice to choose a person who we love and we want to be with. Mm -hmm. um, and we have so many options in that. <laughs> we have so many options in that. And then we find this person who we love and we want them to not only be our partner in solving life's um, challenges, but we want them to be our best friend and the most mm -hmm. erotic sexual partner that we've ever met. Yes. And we want them to be um, the person we bounce intellectual thoughts off of and mm -hmm. who enjoys going to the baseball game with us. And yeah. who's going to be our financial oh. accountant, who's going to help be our real well, estate agent. <laughs> yes, yes. Who is like this and this and that. Like every single area of life, we expect them to fulfill. And 
that is so much pressure to put onto another person. And does it mean that you don't share those areas of life with them? Absolutely not. You know, you of course will still share some aspects of friendship with them and you will share your sexual preferences with them and all of that. But you also have to remember that it does not mean that someone doesn't love you if they want a night out with their friends sometimes. Yeah. Or if they enjoy going to um, see a show with somebody else other than you because that person gets it and Mm -hmm. they want to talk to that person about it. And I hear so frequently in my work with couples, you know, how hurt people feel when their partner does something without them. Yeah, this this rejection. It's such rejection. Mm -hmm. You know, an example would be maybe somebody saying, I don't understand, you know, they, when they go out once a month with their friends and they never want me to come along. And that could be a red flag, but it could also be that that's just a different outlet for them in their life yeah. and that they need that time with just their friends. Yeah. And I think that, you know, we've, we've, the toxic monogamy aspect of things has made us feel jealous about things that we might not otherwise feel jealous about. Yeah. That it's like, to be monogamous, to be a, a, in a relationship means you guys do everything together and that mm-hmm. this person is like your number one priority all of the time in every situation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Absolutely. Which, you know, I think what is so interesting is when you start to become aware of that and then when you kind of start to like try to unpack some of those feelings, it's a lot to to deal with. And even, you know, in, in, in a few weeks, I'll be um, heading back to Minneapolis to see my current partner and uh, he's a really big, you know, he's um, in a startup and has this big like demo day thing where he's in pitching to investors at the end of this accelerator program with Techstars and, you know, both his mom and his dad are going to be coming into town and he wants to make sure that he gets individual time with both of them. And because of that, my trip is really only going to be like three days and Uh. I could, I could feel left out and rejected and like I'm not enough because he doesn't want me to share that time with both of his parents too. And I think when people start to look at toxic monogamy or when they start to enter into consensual non-monogamous relationships and are really forced to really have these conversations and and do this kind of work, um, start to unpack some of those things where it's like, yeah, you know, actually this is not about me and not every part of my partner's life is going to be about me. Um, Mm -hmm. Exactly. And letting that be okay. And I think it brings up so many insecurities and... um, just anxiety in people, really. Um, when I notice it, you know, get triggered in, in myself, I'm like, okay, yeah, I was feeling really anxious about that. And I got to like sit back and unpack this for a second. <laughs> yeah. And people who are in ethically non- non-monogamous relationships, they are able to see how wonderful it is that your partner would be loved by so many people. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that change in perspective even for me, it's just such a huge shift, right? Where you're Mm -hmm. talking about like your partner wants to be around their parents Mm -hmm. and you can either look at that as, well, then they don't love me enough. Or you can look at it as I'm so glad they have other people Mm -hmm. that love them and want to be around them and that they want to share love with too. And so I want them to be with their parents. And I think that's such 
I'm so glad you brought that up because I think that's huge. Yeah. And I'm like, maybe the parent example is an easier step for people to take in thinking about because there's not perhaps that like immediate, you know, sexual threat, at least hopefully not. Um, Mm -hmm. Where if it's, you know, say with a female friend or a a male friend or whatever, a a friend that that someone could be, you know, sexually attracted to or that danger and that threat and that insecurity is more triggered, um, perhaps that is really where a lot of the the work comes in and even Mm -hmm. the conversation of you know uh heterosexual male female friendships um Mm, you know the amount of trust (laughs) that is involved in that um but yeah i think most people that i know and that you know in the research i've done and whatnot with consensual ethical non-monogamous relationships that um they really derive a lot of happiness from their partner's happiness regardless if they are involved and it's this really kind of like selfless love i think at least in my interpretation of it whereas i think what i find more often with this um with with toxic monogamy not necessarily monogamy but where it's very like the love is you know conditional in some ways and it is very very um territorial and uh self-fulfilling in some ways because it's in a way filling voids that we have with this love. Am I making sense? Totally. And I agree with you a hundred, 110%. Okay. (laughs) Good. (laughs) I think that like one of the things where it's, it's just filling voids. If let's say the example you used where they're friends with someone that could be a sexual threat, you know, not, not even based in knowledge that they could be a sexual threat, but you're just kind of perceiving that. Mm-hmm. Um, I always like to say to people, you know, then explore that instead of restricting it. Because if you just say, no, you're not allowed to be around so-and-so anymore because it makes me feel insecure and, um, I'm feeling jealous or whatever. That just gave me so many feelings just even hearing you say that. (laughs) (laughs) But it happens all the time. It does. It does. The time. And it happens between fairly, you know, it happens between people who have fairly healthy relationships, Mm -hmm. even. You know, like the example I gave might sound a little abusive, but there's even people who you would look at and be like, oh, they're not abusive, but they say those things to each other. Oh, yeah. Well, and because things like that have become, they seem much more normal to say, like they seem like, well, yeah, no, you shouldn't hang out with that girl because that makes me uncomfortable. And so I don't want you to do that. And you can't do that. Exactly. Like, oh no, like, you know, that's, and I think people use monogamy as an example. Like you're Mm -hmm. not supposed to do that if you're in a relationship, you're in a relationship with me. Yeah. The thing is, is that it really prevents digging into why are you feeling insecure in that moment? Mm -hmm. And if you're feeling insecure in that moment, because there's something within you that's bringing that up, it would serve you much better to explore that. Like what has happened that's made you feel like your partner's friendship with another person is a threat to you? Yeah. Or you might find in that exploration that there's some sort of hole in the relationship and that your concerns or that feeling of being threat, like threatened by this other person are realistic, but you need to have a conversation and explore that rather than just restricting all of the things that make you uncomfortable. Because 
if you are being realistic, if that friendship really is a threat to the relationship in some way, you're not going to prevent that person then from betraying you. You're just digging your head in the sand until it happens. And the more that we are able to really explore our our uncomfortable emotions instead of saying, no, that makes me feel bad and I don't want to let you do it. um, I think, I think the more that we understand ourselves and our relationships. Mm -hmm. Totally. And, and that's, I think uh, a space where people can do that kind of work in therapy. And uh, here's another therapy plug. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Everyone needs therapy. Yes. Like every episode I'm like, and this could be helpful to do in therapy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) See the power of using social media and podcasts to make people feel comfortable with therapy because it's so important. Yeah, that's been a huge part of my goal with the podcast. Every episode I ask people, I'm like, so have you ever been to therapy? Like, you know, is therapy a part of your healing journey, you know? And it is always interesting to hear like the differences in people's experiences and, and uh, you know, their their reactions to it. Um, and so I guess before we wrap up here, I haven't asked you yet. Um, before you went into the program, um, was therapy ever a part of your, you know, emotional healing process? Before I went into the program, I had never seen a therapist. Um, and then I saw a therapist almost as soon as I went into it. Mm -hmm. Um, and, loved it. I, uh, my grandfather died. And so I went for grief therapy and then I have gone to therapy off and on ever since. And I've seen different types of therapists for different things. You know, I saw a therapist for a while to get over that breakup that I, I talked about. Um, I saw a therapist before I had my baby. I saw an amazing therapist after I had my baby. Um, I've, I've gone to therapy. I went to therapy when I was in New Orleans to get used to, you know, the big transition of moving. So I am a huge believer in therapy and it helps, it helps me to be, you know, better in my personal life, but also to be a better therapist, I think. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And, and one thing I think a lot of people don't know is that most programs, uh, when you go to school to become a therapist, they do highly encourage and recommend and often help provide resources for you to also, um, seek out some, some kind of counseling, um, during the program and that it's not a negative thing. If your therapist sees a therapist, that that is a really positive thing. Um, that therapists seeing therapists is, I think, a, another way to just humanize uh, people working in the profession. Yeah, and I think it's really important for therapists to go to therapy, mm-hmm. even if there isn't anything significant going on, because totally, that's the only way you learn what it really feels like to be the person on the other side of the mm-hmm. couch, yeah. is to sit there and to, to realize really how... Um, how, how that moment feels to, Mm -hmm. to be in that space. It's, it's a lot, you know, I'm a therapist and I go into my first sessions with therapists feeling like nervous and Mm -hmm. 
not wanting to like say too much or, or seem like I'm being weird or whatever. <laughs> I just word vomit everywhere. I'm just oh like, my God, me too. And then I'm, I leave and I'm like, Oh, what did I just do? <laughs> oh yeah. It's, it's, it's a really good thing to do. And I'll never forget, um, like right before the show started airing, um, Jimmy Kimmel does like a, you know, debrief of some of the contestants and whatnot. And, um, he saw my profession, you know, mental health counselor and made the comment of, you know, Oh, like the mental health counselor going on this show. Sounds like she needs a mental health counselor. And it was like, I hate when people say stuff like that. Yes. It like, I, I wish I could go back in time and could have made it a moment to like point this whole concept out because I think, you know, it, it comes up so frequently anytime like a therapist shows being human or is being judged negatively for something in their personal lives. I feel like this saying gets thrown at us and it's just like, oh, I could, I could just break it apart. It's so unhealthy. And I think it shows such a toxic way of, of viewing therapy. Um, and people that go to therapy uh, and of therapists. So it's, there's so many layers to it. Yeah. And like my all time favorite is when people in your personal life say, stop therapizing me or aren't you a therapist? Shouldn't you know better? You're like, I'm just a human being. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. My favorite is when that comes up in relationships. (laughs) Um, It's a fine balance. Um, I've even had some of my exes like parents like moms be like you know use the gifts that you have and I just so 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 (laughs) many thoughts on this where I'm like I'm damned if I do I'm damned if I don't (laughs) yes yes exactly exactly and yeah like you said we're we're just human we are just human beings like everybody else yes well Unfortunately, we have to wrap up, but if people want to find you, I know we've already listed a few of your accounts, but if you want to share with people kind of how they could find you, follow you, reach out to you after listening to this episode. Yeah. So if you are a therapist and you want tips on opening a practice or just advocating for yourself in the field, um, I have an Instagram account called at modern therapy practice that you can follow me on. I post about relationship tips and all sorts of stuff on my at Liz listens account. So you can follow me there as well. My practice has an Instagram, which I actually luckily do not run. My assistant runs that, but it's gotta be so helpful. (laughs) It is so helpful, but it has, she puts really great, um, relationship quotes up every day. And I just love what she posts and that's at a better life therapy. So you can find me in any of those locations. If you're not on Instagram, you can find me on my website at a better life and you can contact me that way. Awesome. And you're in Philly area, correct? I am in Philly. Yeah. So my practice is in center city, Philadelphia. Awesome. I still haven't gone back to East Coast in like years. and Really? Yeah. I spent like eight years in Baltimore and I've been wanting to go back so badly. But yeah. Oh, I wow. Family in South Jersey, which is literally like 30 minutes from Philly. Yeah. <laughs> and I grew up in Havity Grace, Maryland. So my sister yeah. lives in Baltimore and everything. So. Mm-hmm. 
Amazing. Well, you need to come back. I know. I know. I do. Maybe we'll be able to do a recording in person one of these days. That would be amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Come to Philly. Yes. Well, thank you so much again for coming on and for everyone listening. You can find Liz in the episode notes description um, to go and follow those accounts and check her out. Um, And just thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. It was so fun to talk to you. All right. And thank you guys so much for making it all the way through this episode. I really hope that you enjoyed this. Um, I have, I wish we could keep going. <laughs> I have so many more uh, things we could discuss on here. Um, but definitely make sure to check out Liz's accounts. I've absolutely loved following them. And if you have time after this episode, I would love it if you could head over to iTunes and leave a review and let me know what you're liking about the show in a sentence or two. And if you don't have that much time, then maybe just leave a star rating. Uh, That would be super, super helpful in showing your support for the show. So thank you guys again so much. And I hope you have a wonderful week and I'll be back next week. So I'll talk to you soon. This podcast is brought to you by Wave Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows, including the Brain Candy Podcast, I Don't Get It, Coffee Convos, and Let's Talk About It.